This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. I have heard this story countless times. And I imagine that many of you have as well. And yet, whenever I work with something, even something which I'm very familiar, I often am blessed with surprises, things that I did not expect to find in the text, and then comes the wrestling. Sometimes the surprise is a good surprise, sometimes not so much. In this case, it was a lovely, lovely surprise. So, in order to begin uh, reflecting on a text, something that we pastors call exegesis, which is a very fancy word for just sort of getting in there and getting your hands dirty, um, I like to kind of pull apart some of the words, take a look at some of the context and some of the original language. Um, And here I'm reading about this wonderful creation. We have light. And remember, this is before the sun or the stars are even created. So often uh, we think back on the Mesopotamian religions where the sun was God. And we think that the uh, Judeans sort of and Hebrews sort of picked that up. And so when we hear God created light, how many of you, the first thing that you think of in your mind is the sun comes up. And actually that's not what happens at all. The sun's not even here yet. We're still just dealing with water and darkness and God. And God comes and God has this idea of creation and speaks the words. And this is an oral culture. So speaking is a way of making something real or material. Speaking makes it so, like Captain Picard might say, make it so. Speaking does something. Many cultures, not ours, we're very free with the, written, with the spoken word. Some cultures, they hold their tongue and speak when it is important to say something, recognizing that words have weight, that words matter. When God speaks When this story tells us that God speaks, those listening would understand that that means something big. God isn't just telling stories. God isn't just gossiping with the neighbor. The Trinity isn't just having a tea party. Something is being done. God speaks the world into being. How marvelous is that? Words matter. Words are not God. Our Bible is not God. And we must be very careful with idolatry. But in this are keys of vast knowing and unknowing. God speaks with the words that bring us water. Not just any kind of water. This is what surprised me. The Hebrew uses the word mikvah. Well, mikvah? A mikvah is a ceremonial bath. 
It's a place where you go if you are Judean to be made whole and clean again. And you are dunked, every part of you, every hair, every nail. And it's not just any kind of water. It has to be free-flowing, and it flows into the mikvah bath from above so that it cannot sort of backwash, so to speak. It flows down into the bath, and the bath has to hold just a certain amount of water. And there is somebody often there guiding you, making sure that you immerse fully, that not one hair or two might have been left outside the water. And it's a ritual of complete birth and life. God collects this water, gathers the water. Literally, this is a collection of water. And mikvah means collection, and it also means, and this is what surprised me, hope. What? Anybody take a bath in a big bath of hope before? How amazing that God fills this creation. The first gathered waters could be described as a collection and hope. Out of this comes all life. When we immerse in that beautiful water, we immerse back to creation, back to that which is unknown. It is God's place of doing and undoing. Before we yet know anything, and the story continues to tell us that out of this hope, out of this, what is it? What could it be? Out of this namelessness, out of this stuff that only God can speak, comes life, plants and seeds. And we know from the rest of the story, even more comes. Even more. I found that to be beautiful and a way of thinking of baptism that is beautiful. Because, of course, Jesus was Judean. And Jesus worshiped God in the Judean way. And we are the uh, brothers and sisters of Muslims and Jews who also connect deeply to that ancient Judean way. And we also use a tub full of water, do we not? And we also talk about living water. And there are some very, very similar things. In the old times, in the times that the Bible was written, your birthplace was pretty, pretty much made who you are. If you're a Samaritan, that's pretty much stamped on every fiber of your being. People were not as mobile. It wasn't as easy to go somewhere and reinvent themselves. We're going back to that with computers, right? The computer follows you, there's no escape. So this became, when we, when we started in that time, there was so much threat to the society. Part of what can happen when societies are under threat is they begin to get concrete and stale, right? They, they, they revert back to some very rigidity in order to sort of preserve themselves and save themselves, right? Um, and so there was a tremendous threat at this time in Judea with 
um, the tremendous debt among the common people, wars, there was the Roman Empire, um, there was a lot of things going on that was actually fairly terrifying. People weren't able to keep their land or their homes. Um, and the Pharisee at class, now they didn't, they didn't mean to be jerks. They come across kind of as jerks in our Bible, but they're actually just trying to live the word of God. Jesus gets mad at them, but also teaches and engages them. Right? Is there, are you sure? Are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? So when the good news came, part of what Jesus wanted to do was explode all this concrete. It was like someone had come and just created a dam, dammed it all up. Instead of it being this flowing mikvah with life-giving water flowing down into the pool, the pool of collected waters, waters collected together where there was hope to be found, where God could accept you every hair and foot and fiber of you down into the hopefulness of nothing in order to be made new again on rising up. Wow. How many of you, I mean, we just don't get the redo button very often. And, and the Christian conversation in the very beginning, the Christ believers were all about, no, there's no concrete. So if you were, say, a widow or a fallen woman, or if you were a shepherd, you couldn't get there. There was like this wall of built by Pharisees and Sadducees and meannesses of the world that said, so you don't belong and you can't get there. You are not, you're, sorry, can you keep the commandments? Commandments are supposed to be beautiful. There's this beautiful Jewish commandment about taking the first of the dough. It's a woman's ritual. Oh, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Shala? And when you bake the dough, and it has to be enough dough, because you're not, this isn't about starving you to death where all your dough goes to the priests, right? But there's enough dough, and you're kneading the dough, and you're making the dough for everybody to eat, and you grab a fistful that goes to God. Gratitude and joy. And its material feeds the priests. That's the kind of commandment that God brings us. Commandments that bring us life. But as human beings, we are dorks. <laughs> and we make all these rules that keep us from God. instead of opening up the floodgates. And let's face it, some of us are pretty terrified if God suddenly opened the floodgates right here in this church. Whoosh! Right? Am I right? How many of you would duck underneath the pew? <laughs> right? It might take a minute before you're like, well, okay, maybe I'll pop up. A few of you would rejoice right, right away and jump into the flood. I think, I think I might duck first. So baptism, in the Greek, we learned this new word. So the New Testament is written in Greek, and this new word shows up, baptism, baptizo. And it means to dip. And now this is where all the fights come about baptism. Should you baptize little children? Should you sprinkle them? Should you dunk them in the water? Anybody seen Greek Orthodox baptism of infants? It's brutal. 
right? First of all, the baby is totally the way it was born, right? And then they have to dunk it all, but it's a small font. And so, <laughs> this is hilarious. So they got the baby. The priest has got practice on this. Grab an arm, dunk, grab a leg, dunk, grab another leg, dunk, grab another arm, dunk, grab the baby, hold it back to the mom. And the baby's like, what just happened? These are the arguments that create these rituals. And then pretty soon somebody say, that's the only way you ever can baptize a baby. So the next time you're on a rowboat with somebody and it's uh, been a really bad day and they say to you, I have never been baptized, but my gosh, that sun going down and this good day, as terrible as it was, I want to put it behind me and I see there is goodness there. And then we can be baptized in the spirit in a way that we are never baptized by being dunked and dunked and dunked and dunked and dunked and here. Baptism, to dip in. And it doesn't mean dip in like daintily with the toe. Okay, I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to just put my toe down in there. Dip in as in to drench. And one of the examples for dipping in is with bread into wine. So how many of you, when you dip, if you're, if you're at home eating, okay, this isn't communion where you have to be polite in front of everybody. So you're home eating, and you have this beautiful loaf of Italian bread, and you have this lovely Cabernet. Are you going to be like, I'll dip? No, you're going to be like drenching that bread in the wine, right? Drenching it. That's what the word baptize means. We can take it to the dipping part. And sprinkling is fine. Don't worry about that part. It's God that does the work, not us. But imagine how cool it is to take this idea of mikvah, our Genesis story, collection of water, hope, and to be dipped into that. That brings us to the other definition of baptizo, which is to dunk to drench, to plunge, to plunge into the hope of God, the hope of all creation. What was God creating besides hope in this pool of water before we saw anything else? Even the sun has not yet risen. So there's a story I love from Acts 8. It's a story of the apostle Philip and the Ethiopian. And in this story, we have a man who is clearly outside of all the rules of who can access the grace and water of God, who can immerse in the mikvah, who can be part of God's great watery hope. And the people of the time, the Christ believers as the time as well struggle with this, who can be included. Philip is talking to an Ethiopian, first strike, nope, unclean nation, uh, he's a slave. Oops, not in charge of his own household. Um, he's dark-skinned. Oop, doesn't look the same. He works for the Ethiopian queen. He is her treasurer. And in those days, even high officials often were slaves because you could torture a slave. So if money goes missing from the treasury, it's actually really handy that your treasurer is a slave. So you can torture them. Terry, don't listen to this. This is a more brutal time 
It just is. So this guy has a lot of strikes against him, and he's a eunuch. And the word eunuch here is a word that might mean that he underwent a procedure as a child or as an older man to make him acceptable to work in the state of slavitude around women. Or it might mean that he was born differently than either identifiably man or identifiably woman. And this automatically makes him an ambiguous and difficult figure in the world to deal with for a culture that says there was Adam and there was Eve. This is really difficult for folks who had to navigate that system who didn't fit in. And we know that good percentages of people don't fit into this. So he is out on every level. What does he have? He has riches and power, even as a slave in that situation. So we are shown here by telling us that, that that's not the problem, that this guy has everything we would think he would need to be part of the kingdom of God. But in fact, he has nothing else. And somehow, this man has come across the book of Isaiah. And he's reading the word of God. And he reads, like a sheep was led to the slaughter, and a lamb to its shearer is silent, so didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken away from him. He was eliminated from the land of the living, is the translation from Isaiah. And Acts softens it. This is a man who has been denied a lot, including children, family, including belonging to the children of God. Because part of what was understood to be part of that gift at this time is offspring, the seed and the plant. That you became part of the kingdom of God and God's great chosen people because you were part of a continuum of people. And to be a eunuch in that setting, you had to deal with the worst kind of prejudicial thinking. And we see this pain that it causes in the stories of, like, Hannah, right, in our Bible. Women who do not have children and pine for that because they feel the pressure from outside. They believe the lie that that's how God shows God's love. Too often, we believe the lie that there are only certain ways that God shows God's love. It is not an accident that Philip goes to this man at this time and that this story is recorded in this way. We are supposed to listen up to stories like this because the, the Ethiopian man wants to know, can, can we imagine why he might resonate with this part of Isaiah about being a lamb led to slaughter? How many choices has he had? Can we maybe identify of why he has this sense that, his, that the humiliation, in, in his humiliation, justice was taken from him? Can he speak up? He's the treasurer. He has all the material power he needs. Can he speak up? So that tells us that this culture is one where he cannot, no matter where he is, 
That's why this story is here in this way, because it demonstrates that. There is no way to find justice in this moment for this man except through God. And Philip tells him the good news. And then guess what happens? Chariot rides by, and they see a pool of water. How amazing is that? You see how important that is? That little story that we run over in Acts. They see a pool of water. And the Ethiopian says, wait, stop. Could I, could I be baptized? And Philip's like, turn this car around. Yes. And they come out of the carriage, and Philip presides, making sure what? We know what the presider does now. Every hair on his head, every part of him, immersed in the hope of all creation, to emerge dripping with life, renewed, recreated, and indivisibly part of God's great and beautiful world. No exceptions. Every time we try to build a wall around the living, flowing waters of life, Jesus says, I want us to rethink that. Maybe that's not what you think it is. Don't do that. He's actually pretty clear sometimes. So, how many of us know folks like this Ethiopian who believe that the walls have been put up around the living water and that they're not welcome? They're actively excluded, in fact, I've seen folks who believe in their manner that if they touch anywhere near it, they'll get like zapped or something. It will be an actively negative and humiliating experience. If this Ethiopian were to go to the temple or the synagogue, what would happen? It would be a humiliating experience. We are asked to choose differently as Christian people. We are asked to choose differently in many faiths. We're a church. We're going to talk about it in the Christ way here. But we know that it's beyond that. We know that the Christ touches universally throughout creation and that God, the God of divinity and wonders, is marked in many ways by different people. For me and my faith, I see the Christ in it. I see the power of that. I see the willingness to step beyond that which we think we know and the fear right? Ah, here comes the water. So this week, imagine moments for yourself where the waters can be there. As you drift off to sleep, imagine the pool, the collected waters of life. Imagine sinking underneath the waterline where you are cared for and baptized and renewed created into this good life. Praise be to God. Amen.